Look at that, right on time. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. It's great to see you here today. Um, I love this chance that we get to celebrate, to worship, to uh, enter into the throne room of God and just celebrate what Jesus has done for us in His life, His death, and His resurrection. One thing I've not really been able to explain this year is um, during the Lenten season, uh, it's always kind of dim in here. Have you noticed that? Some of you have been like itching to open the blinds and things like that. Well, it's on purpose that during the Lenten season, we keep the blinds closed so that it is a little bit darker in here, a little bit more dimly lit. Uh, and what that does is it helps uh, create a space that is conducive to reflection and preparation, that which we're doing in the Lenten season. But get excited, and I hope this isn't what makes you most excited, but on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, guess what? We're going to celebrate our risen King, Jesus, and we're going to open the blinds. And hopefully it's a nice and sunny day, and everyone's going to be like cats in a sunbeam and just like, oh, purring and having a great time because it's back to normal. But anyway, uh, Lenten season, just like Advent, is an important time for us. It does nothing for God. It does something for us. It trains our spirits, trains our attention to prepare for an important uh, part of the story. Uh, at Christmas time, at, during the Advent season, we're preparing for Jesus' birth. But uh, during the Lenten season, we're preparing to once again engage the suffering, engage the, the, the terrible loss through Jesus' death on the cross, yet the t that incredible gain as well in His resurrection. Anyway, so today... Uh, we are continuing in our Law and Prophets series. Today is week 19 of a 22-part series, so we're on the home stretch. Uh, but we've been looking at Jesus' teachings. We've been sitting with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, listening to what He teaches uh, during, in Matthew chapter six, seven, or 5, 6, and 7. Uh, widely, largely, historically considered some of Jesus' most... Uh, uh, important and beautiful teachings. And so it's been good for us to take our time working through this. Today's message is called Doomsayers. Doomsayers. Uh, last year, uh, last year, Christy and I spent what felt like half of a lifetime at a car dealership. Has anyone else ever had this experience? It's like a time warp. It's like a black hole. You never get out. It was actually, in reality, only like five or six hours, you know, to, to complete the 30-minute process of buying your car. Anyway, we were at a car dealership uh, working through the labyrinthine process of, of purchasing a vehicle. Uh, I had changed jobs in my previous job. I had a company vehicle. I was starting a new job where I had to get a personal vehicle, so I went shopping. What did I buy? Well, if you know me, you know my love for station wagons. But did I buy a Subaru? Oh, no, no, no. Far too fashionable. Did I find a Mazda wagon, a Volvo? Nah, no. I got a Buick. A Buick. And you're thinking about, you, a Buick? Oh, but it's a beautiful Buick. It's a beautiful Buick station wagon, which I'll tell you more about, which I probably have already told you about, because that's all I talk about when we talk about this experience. Anyway, my wife and I, we had been at the car dealership for a couple of hours, and we had finished up... Uh, the first part of that process, so we thought. We had actually left the dealership uh, to come back at a later time to get the vehicle, uh, and we were headed home to rest and recover, to hydrate, to pray, those things that you need to do after those times at car dealerships. Anyway, about halfway home, the salesman calls, and guess what? There were a few more documents that we needed to sign, and there was a small deposit we needed to make in order to hold said car, said beautiful station wagon. So we turned around, 
We turned around, hung our heads, and schlepped our way back to the car dealership. Back into the showroom, and we sat for another hour or two, I kid you not, for another hour or two as um, our salesman went back and forth between his manager's office and the finance office. Manager's office, finance office. You, like me, wonder what is going on in the manager's office, in the finance office. We just needed to sign papers and give them money. But anyway, an hour or two. Uh, anyway, something sort of interesting transpired as we pulled back into the parking lot that second time and as we got out of our car and began walking into the showroom. There was a lady coming toward us, coming out of the showroom. There was a lady coming out of the showroom having a heated conversation with another of the salesmen. Uh, I assume this heated conversation had something to do with uh, a vehicle of some sort, but either way, whatever the cause, she was not happy. It was pretty apparent. You could tell by her body language and her tone, in addition to the words, she was, the color, the color uh, and spiciness of the words she was using, I could tell she was not happy. What caught my attention was the salesman was walking behind the woman as she stormed off with his arms outstretched in a strange cruciform shape. It was just like this like martyred sense of his spirit coming after her. Is, is. And as I exited the car, I caught the tail end of the dialogue. I caught the tail end of the dialogue between these two people, the angry woman and the uh, sad salesman. It basically went something like this. She said, God will punish you for that. You won't get away with it. Well, you can imagine why I was paying attention at this point. It's like, oh yeah? You know, it's like, she says, God will punish you for that. You will not get away with it. <laughs> I thought to myself, oh my, what is going on here? I'm not sure exactly what happened uh, to this woman that prompted her to call down God's wrath on this poor salesman. <laughs> what transpired, what provoked her to prophesy such doom on this poor man's soul? I mean, surely we've all been tempted to do that before, but we never did, right? What actually pushed her over that red line? What, what pushed her to the point of actually calling down God's wrath? To prophesy doom. A few minutes later, uh, once safely inside the showroom, uh, and we were seated, uh, I began to wonder, is that how God works? Is that how it works? I mean, you get mad, um, you call down God's wrath, and it happens. Does God punish salesmen for frustrating people. Does he? I mean, how would the DMV even exist if this is true? <laughs> will that man, will that salesman actually be punished? Will he be cut down by God? Is God honor-bound to answer that, 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 that directive, that, that, that breathed prayer of the woman? Is God bound to do that? Now, I don't know this woman... Uh, I don't know her credentials. Uh, she didn't strike me as a, as a biblical prophet. She didn't strike me as one who actually speaks for the living God. But who knows? You read in the Bible, did everyone always think the prophets were prophets? Did they always think, oh, this prophet totally has the badge. He's wearing the t-shirt that says, I'm a prophet. No, they're like, who's this guy? This guy, he's from nowhere. How could he be a prophet? Anyway, maybe I was falling into that same skepticism. Anyway, I didn't know. 
Either way, this salesman seemed pretty hurt by what this lady had said. He'd been hurt. He's human after all. I watched him for several minutes as, as we languished in showroom purgatory. As he walked slowly over and began speaking with his manager. I could see that he was bothered by this situation. I don't know how you perceive car salesmen, but they do bleed blood. I mean, they, they're flesh and blood. At the end of the day, they feel things. They have hearts. They have emotions. So he's saying to his, to his uh, I see, so, no, it's true. I, I, I Googled this. It's true. They do. <laughs> now, um, he was talking to his manager, and you could see that it bothered him. Perhaps he was disappointed, very practically, that he had lost a sale of some sort. Or, or maybe he was also worried about divine punishment. I don't know. No one can really specifically know how this situation played out in the end. We, here today, we will never know if this woman was right. We will never know if the salesman was, in fact, struck down by God's fury. Or, conversely, if nothing happened at all. Maybe he's at work today, selling other cars to other people. But I do know this. This experience that my wife and I had, it provided good introductory material for today's message. And that, my friends, is totally worth it. <laughs> it does kind of preface what I want to talk uh, with you about today. And for that, I'm very thankful. I'm not thankful that he got his feelings hurt. I'm not thankful that this woman was mad. But here, almost a year later, I'm standing with you telling you this story. Here's what a key takeaway was for me. In the life with Christ, we must be on our guard. In the life with Christ, we must be on our guard against false prophets and false teachers. We must be discerning. We must be careful. Because not everything anyone says about God or from God is about or from God. It's not trustworthy. It's not true. As the church, as followers of Jesus, we must... Uh, we have to be alert, we have to be vigilant, and we always have to be on the lookout. We have to be alert, vigilant, and always on the lookout. Why? Because many will come into our midst presuming to speak for God. Many will come into our fellowship presuming to speak for God, possessing evil motives, and seeking only selfish gain and to lead others astray. In other words, Jesus warns us to watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing and to be wise. To be wise. Now Jesus does, just doesn't say, hey, be smart. Be alert. He says, look for this. A tree is known by its fruit. A tree is known by a fruit and a person is known by their actions. So look beyond their words, look to their actions. A tree is known by its fruit. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware, oh, I've got it on the screen. Look at that. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. You can, can you pick grapes from, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So, every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So you see the flow of this passage. First he starts out, beware of false prophets who come as, as wolves in sheep's clothing. They come uh, uh, to deceive and to destroy. So I said, look for these things. You can identify them by their fruit. Look at their fruitfulness. Now in Jesus' day, just as in our own day, there were those both inside and outside of the Christian fellowship that had corrupt motives. They were seeking to deceive. They were seeking to lead others astray. They gained some sort of pleasure and joy and feelings of success when they helped someone uh, dismantle their faith or start to believe a lie that ultimately undermined their vitality and their life with God. They sought pleasure. They found pleasure in doing these things. In Jesus' day as in ours. Now, some of these people, uh, we can give them the benefit of the doubt. Some of these people uh, were simply misguided. Uh, but most, the people that Jesus is talking about, were intent on infiltrating Jesus' followers. They were intent on undermining their faith. They were intent on deceiving them for their own gain. In my 20 plus years of ministry, of doing this, I have run into quite a few people who claim to speak for God and who, who say, who claim to possess a special revelation just for me. I mean, it just seems to happen fairly regularly. People will come in and I can tell right away, it's like, oh dear, here we go. You know, they've got a special revelation that I just have to hear and it's directly from God. They come into the fellowship and they immediately start proclaiming what God has told them that we are doing wrong. They know nothing about our church. They know nothing about me or you. They, they, they come in and they immediately launch with like, hi, I'm so-and-so and here's what you're doing wrong. God told me. <laughs> so they tell me what we're doing wrong, what we should be doing, and which practices we should adopt. And they often are promoting some strange or new priority for us. Hey, I know you've been reading the Bible, I know you've been doing this and that, but really, you'd be doing much, much better, and you'd stop making God, you would stop making God so angry if you started doing this one little thing that I'm really crazy about. Anyone else run into these people? Am I the only one? Is that straight, a peculiar ministry experience on my part? Right. Um, in my experience, uh, many of these people have... Uh, uh, mental health issues that may or may not have been diagnosed, but certain ones of these have really been corrupt. You get a sense in your spirit that there's something lurking in them, a deep, dark desire to just uh, wreak havoc, to bring ruin into the fellowship. So Jesus knew what he was talking about here. These people will come in. There will be people who come into the fellowship who har harbor a desire to harm the church. There's people out there motivated to come in and cause damage to the church, cause damage to the flock. They want to come in, harm the church. They want to bring harm to the pastor. They want to bring harm to the fellowship. They want to bring harm to the ministry effectiveness of the church. Why? Because of their particular fixation or because of their particular frustration. People carry this with them, and I'm sure they've got good reasons why, but they come in, and at the end of the day, they just want to wreak havoc. Evil motives. 
a wicked desire for influence and control over others. It motivates these modern-day false prophets, just like it did in the Old Testament, and just like it did in the first century, uh, the milieu in which Jesus himself is speaking in Matthew chapter 7. So, how do we tell the difference between a true and a false prophet? How do we tell the difference between a true and a false teacher, a true and a false believer? Well, Jesus lays it out pretty quick, clearly for us in this passage we just read. Um, additionally, uh, N.T. Wright speaks helpfully here too in one of his commentaries. He says this, In the Old Testament, the test for true and false prophets was this, Wait and see. Wait and see. If the prophet tells you something is going to happen, you will discover whether they are truthful by seeing whether it does. Jesus has a more graphic and perhaps a quicker method of detection. He says, look at the life of the person who is offering you advice. Think of it like a tree. Can you see healthy, tasty fruit on this tree? Can you see other people being genuinely nourished by it? Or is it, in fact, producing a crop of lies, immorality, and greed? The InterVarsity Press New Testament commentary develops our, our understanding, our approach to this even further, Jesus' words uh, even further. Once we acknowledge that God can inspire people to speak His message, how do we discern His genuine representatives? Okay, Do we believe that God can inspire people to actually speak for Him? Well, He does it throughout all Scripture. Do we believe that in the teaching ministry of our church that God can actually uh, work through the words that are being spoken like from up here? I hope so. I hope so. But how do we tell the difference? How do we discern His genuine representatives? Well, like His follower Paul, get this, Jesus subordinates the gifts of the Spirit to the fruit of the Spirit and submission to Jesus' Lordship. I'm going to pause there. This is the key takeaway from today's message. I'm going to hit on it a couple times. But Je listen, Jesus himself subordinates the gifts of the Spirit to the fruit of the Spirit and submission to the Lord's, to Jesus' Lordship. Do you understand what he's saying there, this, this commentary? Jesus always subordinates the gifts of the Spirit, makes them less important than the fruits of the Spirit. The image of the tree and the fruit, it reminds us that behavior flows from character. Behavior flows from character. And in Christian teaching, character comes through being born again rather than merely through self-discipline. Our own best efforts at restructuring unregenerate human nature are doomed to failure. By contrast, a person transformed by and consistently dependent on the power of God's Spirit will live according to the traits of God's character because of God's empowerment, just as a tree bears fruit according to their own kind. Just as trees bear fruit according to their own kind. So, what are the traits of godly character? What comes to mind for you? What are the traits of godly character? What are the fruits of the Christian life. Anyone have any ideas? Love? Good. Joy? I see a trend here. What comes third? Huh? Peace? <laughs> right? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Here the Apostle Paul actually describes it. He lays it out in list form. The fruits of the Spirit, the characteristics, the traits of a, a godly character. Galatians 5, 22. 
Galatians 5, 22 through 25, or 20, uh, yeah, 25. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. What does it mean to follow the Spirit's leading? It's to allow the Spirit to cultivate in us, to turn the soil, to pull up weeds and remove rocks, to make this, the, the soil fertile in our lives so that it might be fruitful. Okay, so this is the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits that we ought to look for the traits we ought to see in the people that come to us claiming to, 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 to speak for God or, or lead God's people. The Holy Spirit at work in a person will inevitably produce spiritual fruit. Do you agree with that statement? The work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life will inevitably, inevitably produce spiritual fruit, albeit slow at times, sometimes really lopsided, but there will be inevitable, undeniable production of these traits like love, joy, peace, patience, all these things. They will show up. Have you had a time in your life where the Holy Spirit seems to be working on just one of these fruits? They're like, hey, we'll get to these other ones, but first let's work on love, or let's work on patience, or let's work on self-control. I mean, there's always work to be done. There's always nutrients that need to be added to the soil of our lives, of our souls, so that this kind of fruit can be produced. Okay? So be patient with people. All right? That itself is a fruit, right? But understand that no one's perfect. No one's completely, fully fruitful like Christ himself, yet we are all striving to be so. So this person may be... Uh, you may notice in this one person that God is really working on a spirit of, uh, of joy in them because they've got bitterness, and God's really got to do a work there. Or maybe this person has to really work on self-control, and they need just help in that, and that seems to be where all the Holy Spirit's attention is. That's great. That's fruit. Support it. Nurture it. Pray for it. But most of all, be patient with that person. Sometimes it'll be slow. Sometimes it'll be lopsided. But the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life will inevitably produce fruit. Beyond the dazzling preaching, beyond the dazzling demonstrations of great gifting, a person who is genuine will show forth fruit in their life. Okay, look beyond the giftedness and look at their character. Someone who has surrendered to the work of the Spirit in their life will show forth fruit in their life. There will be a certain uh, fragrance of humility in their life that is submitting over and over again to the work of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, if someone comes, if someone claims to be a follower of Jesus, we can ask, are they becoming more like Him? If someone says, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, then we can, we can rightfully ask, okay, well, are they becoming more like Him in their attitudes? Is their character being more conformed to the likeness of Jesus? Is their behavior coming more into line with His commandments? If someone says they're a follower of Jesus, then we must inspect, okay, well, where is the Holy Spirit at work in this person's life? 
Where is the Holy Spirit at work? In my life. Because most of us here would claim to be following Jesus as well. And this is an uncomfortable question to ask, but it must be asked. If I say I follow Jesus, where do I see the Holy Spirit at work in my life? Am I being conformed more into the likeness of Christ in my attitudes, my character, and my behavior? Recall N.T. Wright's questions. Can you see healthy, tasty fruit on this tree? Am I producing healthy, tasty fruit in my life, spiritually speaking? Can you see other people being genuinely nourished by it? Is what Jesus doing in your life, the Holy Spirit doing in your life, is it actually blessing and nourishing others around you? Or is it in fact producing a crop of lies, immorality, and greed? These are probing questions, but ones we have to ask. So be cautious. Be cautious. Sometimes this will require us to stop and to step back and take in the whole picture. Take in the whole picture of this other person's life, this pastor's life, this ministry leader's life, our own life. We need to step back and say, okay, God, search me and know me. Help me see clearly here the full scope, the full scale of what's going on. Let me see the whole picture. Look beyond the obvious ministry gifting pizzazz and evaluate the character. Okay, there's a lot of stuff in the church. There's a, there's a strong entertainment culture in the church that leads us in with the songs and the music and the powerful preaching and all the pizzazz that can sometimes be a smokescreen. It can be a cover for vast spiritual immaturity and a lot of corruption sometimes. So look beyond the obvious ministry gifting pizzazz and evaluate the character. Look for the fruits of the Spirit being produced in this person's life, regardless of who they are, whether it's just a Bible study leader or a, a, a famous, famous Christian influencer. Here we are again. Hear me say this. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, this is it. Given a choice between following someone with spiritual giftedness or someone with spiritual fruitfulness, always follow the fruitfulness. Given a choice between someone with, with amazing spiritual uh, giftedness or spiritual fruitfulness, always follow the fruitfulness. What this means is this, when it comes to like a church, your participation in a church fellowship, it is better to have a mediocre preacher who is gentle and godly than it is to have a false and fruitless pastor who can preach your socks off. You get the difference? It is better for you to sit under the world's most mediocre preaching. This is good news, right? Um, <laughs> but have a pastor that genuinely has a heart that breaks for the cause of Christ in the world, that's really seeking to be godly and gentle, than it is to have a pastor who doesn't really care, who isn't really growing, but can stand up here and just, just blow you away with his delivery style and, and the stuff that he does. Given the choice between following someone with spiritual giftedness or someone with spiritual fruitfulness, always follow the fruitfulness. So to bring this down to a personal level, it's not just about your pastors, it's not just about your ministry leaders or those people on uh, Christian media. It's about you too. So let's bring this down to the personal level. It is far better for you to be a person who genuinely loves Jesus and is growing in Christ's likeness than it is to be the world's loudest social justice warrior. 
It is better for you to be in love with Jesus and desiring the work of the Holy Spirit in your life in that mundane, day-by-day, slow progress than it is for you to be the world's most awesome street evangelist or Sunday school teacher or even megachurch pastor. You may be given incredible opportunities uh, to shine and to show how great you are. But man, if the, hollow, if the center is hollow, there's nothing at work and the Holy Spirit's not really in, at work inside of you, man, something has gone tragically, tragically wrong. Now here's what we know. Jesus has little patience for fakery. Jesus has about 0% tolerance level for fakeness. For fakery. He has very little tolerance uh, for fakery, and so should we. We should have very little tolerance for it in ourselves and in others. For a tree is truly known by its root. No one's blessed, no one's benefited by us calling a, a bad tree a good tree or a good tree a bad tree. No one wins. No one's benefited or blessed by that. A tree is known by its fruit. Jesus has little patience for fakery, so we should have little patience as well. A good tree. He produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. You can look this up in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus says this, a tree is known by its root. A good tree produces good fruit. Luke 6, uh, 43 through 45. You can look that up in a parallel passage. But Jesus says it. A fruitless tree is a curse. A fruitless tree is a curse. And what is its destiny? It's to be uprooted and thrown into the fire. It's destined for destruction. But a fruitful tree is a blessing. A fruitful tree, a good tree producing good fruit is a blessing. It is a blessing to others. It is a blessing to God. And it's a blessing to the tree itself. It is bound for abundant life. Man, that sounds so good. So today, let's get serious about fruitfulness. Let's each decide in our hearts, God, I want to be a good tree. Help me do whatever it takes to allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate in me that which would bring about a harvest of fruitfulness, of love, of joy, of peace, of patience. All these things in my life. I want to be a good tree. I want you to be a good tree. Yes, let's be alert. Let's be alert for fakery. Let's be alert for false teachers and false prophets in our midst, but also in ourselves. And if you remember some other things Jesus told us, where's the appropriate starting point in almost every single situation? You know, message for you, sir. Yeah, me. It starts inside of ourselves. So look for fakery. Be alert for false prophets and false teachers, but start by looking inside yourself. Let's get on about that serious business of becoming more like Jesus. Let's get serious about the business of becoming more like Christ in our life, in the days we're given, in all of our interactions. May you bear fruit. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, hear Jesus' words this morning, and we hear it rightly in, in that it convicts us. God, Jesus' words here should stop all of us in our tracks. We should all be examining our life. We should all be stepping into your light saying, Oh, search me and know me. For there are wicked ways in me that I can't even recognize uh, on a regular basis. But today, God, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to understand all that you would point out in my life. 
you are the master gardener. You come in and you see, you can diagnose immediately what's going on, what's keeping me from producing good fruit, fruit in keeping with the work of the Spirit. So God, I know there's some rocks that need to be removed, some soils, some hard, compacted soil that needs to be turned in me. And I know that's the case for many of my friends here today. God, if we decided today that we would get serious about becoming more like Jesus, would you help us? Would you send your Holy Spirit into this very room and effect a work in our hearts? God, I pray that we would be an alert people, trusting that Jesus was telling us uh, the truth. He was telling us something important and saying, hey, be on the lookout. There will be wolves in sheep's clothing that come into the fellowship. But sometimes, God, I pray that we'd have the humility and the honesty to say, sometimes that wolf is me. Sometimes I'm dressed up like a sheep because I'm unrepentant. I'm unwilling to let you do the work fully in me. And I'm off chasing my own little agenda, my own little fetish in the faith. Oh God, may my arms fall to my sides today. May my hands stop clutching and grasping and just fall open in your presence so that I might receive what you'd have for me. That we would do the same. We would open our hands and receive what you have for us. God, your desire is that each and every one who call themselves a follower of Jesus would be a fruitful tree, would be a good tree that is producing good fruit. A good tree producing good fruit that leads to the, the blessing of the world and is bound for abundance. Lord, what does that look like for me? What does that look like for my friends here today? What would it look like if I got serious today? Now, some here have been ignoring this. Some have been hesitant to really surrender to Jesus and follow after Him. So for those that need to repent and confess Christ as Lord, today that work can begin, and I pray that it would. I pray that you'd bring those people to a place of humble surrender. And I pray the same humble surrendering to the rest of us who've maybe been following Jesus for a long time, but we've kept corners of our soul sequestered away from you, unwilling to let the Holy Spirit do its work to produce fruit in us. God, there is to be no part of our lives that is off limits to you. It's those off-limits places where you want to do your work most. It's that one place that's probably hindering us from becoming more like Jesus. And so, God, I pray today you would shine your light brightly in each of us. Bring us to a place of repentance and confession, of surrender and obedience. God, help there be a, make there be a fragrance of humility just wafting through this place in my life, in, in, in my friend's life, in our church, in our neighborhood. Lord, be glorified, we ask. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing a song. This is a time, a carved out time and a space for us to sit with the Lord and to sit there and say, God, search me and know me. I've heard Jesus' words and I know that there's work to be done, but help me be uh, submitted to that work. Don't let me reach for my phone and start scrolling. Let me sit in just that blazing light of your glory as uncomfortable as that can be, just say, God, search me, know me. I want to produce fruit in keeping with the Spirit's work. Let the Spirit come. Turn the soil.
Remove the rocks, the thorns, the weeds, all the things that have been hindering God's work in your life, your pursuit of Christ-likeness. May that change today. I'll be at the back if you want to pray with somebody. Maybe we need to go to the Lord together and offer this to Him. But the thing is, is you have a chance to sit with the living God today, to confess, to talk about these things, to see things change, starting now. So my prayer is this, make the most of this opportunity.